Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuller, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. I am Benno talking about certain business growth approach that intrigued me from the first time I talked Doug and I you talked uh, god almost 15 years ago in 2006 or 7. So I'm I'm talking with Doug Cofield, CEO of Ivy Stone, a, a leading sales agency and uh, welcome to the Third Growth Option podcast Doug. I know it's a pleasure to be here. Sorry, we had a little. We were laughing this morning. We had a little technical spot, but we're uh, we're working through it. So, my first uh, podcast, and it's a pleasure to do that with you. Yeah, I'm excited, and you know, growth is all about trying stuff and not being afraid to fail a little bit here and there. And as I say, it's it's about how many times we get back on the horse, not about falling off the horse. Right? Completely uh, fair. Yeah. So you you started Ivy Stone, I think, as a sales rep before you became president and CEO. Is that is that right? That is correct. It was a it was a family business. My father was involved in the industry way back in the '60s, and uh, I got started right out of college. It was not what I expected to do. Like a lot of people, they just kind of fall into our space. But I, uh, yeah, it was more of a job offer. It's one of those things where family business is hard to move to it to the next player, especially back then. So I started in 1989, believe it or not, and um, yeah, we we grew it from there. I bought the business in '96, and then gotcha. just kept growing from there. Gotcha. And 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 that growth approach that I still remember from you know that you described to me from the first conversation that that you and I had was, hey, man, we're all about operating the business from the bottom up, not from the top down. And, and that just always stuck with me. And, and I really want to dig into that. Before we do that, maybe just give a little flyover of your sales agency, you know, uh, in terms of sort of the 23 years or 25 years you've been running it, in terms of number of states you covered at the beginning and now, number of sales reps at the beginning and now. Sure. So, when I started in 89, it was, a, it was a fairly simple business. The 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 structure back then was extraordinarily regional. So um, Benno, I know he recalls this. It was it was a little complicated. Most most businesses in the sales side were completely regionally based. So they might cover a state up to five or six states, have eight to twelve people working on a on a sales team or just doing it themselves. So when we got started, we had about, when I got started in 89, we, we had about 18 people, I believe. We were covering the mid-Atlantic region. 18, 18 sales reps. Yeah, based out of PA. Yeah, 18 salespeople on the road. And uh, we grew it quite a bit, but we really took leaps forward, big leaps forward in the following years. We did a, we did a large uh, merger in 2001. That was at the time we had 29 salespeople on the road. We merged with Drummers, which was a group based out of New York, um, run by Ted Goldberg at the time. So we we merged. We put that together. We went right up to 58 salespeople. So we were on the East Coast, basically New York, straight down to Virginia, out to Ohio. 
And that was a big, big bump up. At that time, we became one of the larger groups at the time in 2001. We did several acquisitions after that, but the other big one came in 2010. And that was, that was the scope out to national. That was a very complicated deal, which you were aware of, which was an offshoot. Uh, One Coast had spun a division off that was national. We ended up merging with that division and putting those two organizations together. So that was a large merger that, that, that totaled our salespeople. We went up from about, we had about 70 at the time and we went up around 135 at that time, putting people on the road. And we were national at that point. And we've since grown. We've got. Uh, about 180, 185 people. 185 people in about how many states? In all 50 states. In all 50 states. Wow. So from 18 in a few states to 185, 10 times as many in all 50 states. It explains a few of the gray hairs on your head. <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> so let's get into this this growth approach, bottom up, not top down. You told me the other day, and we we built flexibility in the into the model. What what do you mean by building flexibility into the model? So what it means is basically the top down approach and the flexibility approach combine a bit. And here here's where it comes in. So because we look at it, every field sales territory is kind of the way we establish the rules around the way we run the business. Because we think of it that way, we're always kind of developing our processes based on each individual person that works with us. So therefore, when we grew, what we did was we didn't make it just because we were a national, we don't do the same thing in every region. So we base our business around each different area of the country. We There may be products that don't sell well in the Southeast that sell great in the upper Midwest. So therefore, we will do those products just in the upper Midwest, and we won't do the same thing in the Southeast. It makes things more complicated on our end, but because we've built our ops around the philosophy of of the ground up, it's made it easier to have a flexible model. So in other words, the two things have kind of blended over a period of time. Once you're, we were talking about this, uh, once you're building a flexible model, you realize you need to build it into everything. And what we mean by that is we hire a lot of people that can do a lot of different tasks. We may move them around. We hire for talent. We don't necessarily hire for the exact position. Those kinds of things happen as you build a flexible model. So it kind of builds off of itself. And then it gets cultural a bit, right, where the, the same person who's running the business takes out the trash and, you know, they're not, <laughs> they're not afraid to do anything, right? And, and that philosophy allows us to kind of empower our team. So our team feels like they're in control, whether it's their specific area they work in on the field selling or whether they're a manager, they feel we give them kind of that entrepreneurial feel where they can kind of set their own tone within these guardrails we establish on our processes. Kind of run their own business. In essence, yes, within within a framework, right? So when you discuss anything from from sales to even like a creative department or a creativity area, Having guardrails allows creativity even more than anything else. If you've got those guardrails up where you're like, okay, I can't go past this point, but I can kind of make my own decisions within these, within these framework, within this framework, we feel like people really, really grow that way. I think it attracts talent as well because they know we're going to give guidance, but we're really letting people run their own biz inside of our business. You know, it's interesting. You, you, you talk about creative 
talent, I always felt, you know, I'm, I'm one of those rare people that's like 50-50 left brain, right brain, creative, analytical. Could mean, I suppose, I'm not good at either or, or, or I'm, I'm pretty good at both. <laughs> but at any rate, you know, in working with creative people, I always felt it was important to create a sandbox within which they could go wild, right? Within which they could be, you know, as creative, as innovative as they wanted to be. But if you don't build that, you know, sandbox or what you call guardrails, you end up creating a lot of friction and people are sort of, you know, sort of like sending your three-year-old to play out in the front, you know, in the street instead of in a, a safe sandbox in, in the backyard. Is that how you think about it? It really is. It's the same. I, I've stretched my brain out to kind of think because I'm not really, we're not necessarily, we're not the creative people, right? We're not the one driving new product or anything, but I've, I've kind of used that philosophy. I read about that years ago and it, it totally resonated with me that we're doing the same philosophy that those great creative companies do within a sales structure. So it's a very similar mentality. And if you think of it that way and just say, Hey, look, my, you know, when I got started, Ben, let me tell you an old story, if that's okay, if I digress a little bit here. My first experience ever having any kind of management in the early 90s, and I wasn't in charge of the business yet, hadn't bought it yet. At that time, our best two salespeople could not have been more opposite. I mean, they were diametrically opposed in everything. I mean, the, the one person was cheap, the one person, the other person couldn't save any money. You know, he had a famous quote. He said, I don't do change when he'd buy something. <laughs> so right. it, it was, they, were, they were literally exact opposites. And I said, you know, I thought about it all the time and I reference it all the time. I'm like, so if those two people were our best two people at that time and they did things totally opposite, how can I create a structure where they have to do the same thing and think they're going to do well? So I, I think I was fortunate in that that was my, really my first experience. And we've always thought about it since then. We're like, okay, we can give everybody tools so that they can do their job better. That's, a, that's really our job and to kind of direct them in the right ways. But putting them in, you got to follow this pattern just really doesn't work for us. And, and, and I think it's served us very well over the years. I mean, just using the tool analogy, you basically, it's management's job to give everybody a hammer and a screwdriver, but, you know, you have lefties, you have righties holding the hammer. You have, you know, different ways of pounding a nail and, and, and you let you people figure it out. You're, you're not telling them, you know, you're not being German about it. That's, that's a, yeah, I know the background. <laughs> I, I get to laugh about that. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't, but best description, right? If, if you want to do something on a Tuesday that you thought you were going to do on a Wednesday, that's fine. We don't, you know, <laughs> that, that's, it, that's your call. That's, that, that's not necessary to follow some exact guideline of here, here's the way you need to work each and every day. I mean, it's just not our philosophy and it's really benefited us over a long period of time. And I think it's, like I said, the people who are super talented, they don't want to fit in an exact box. Exactly. Rock stars, rock stars want to be rock stars, right? That's exactly correct. And you've got to, you know, right, we just went through this traumatic event with COVID and everything else. And the first thing we said on the first day we were making all the really hard decisions was protect the rock stars. That was, that was the first thing we said, right? And that's, that's the way most people think, I assume. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of conversation around, you know, the customer is always right. So it's all about the customer versus, and I think Richard Branson from Virgin Air and Virgin 
X everything, <laughs> you know, says actually the, the employee is the most important asset, right? Because without employees, you don't have customers. I completely agree with that philosophically. We, especially in our, in our industry where we're serving kind of multiple people. So we're serving, we're serving our, our vendor community, our retailer and our sales team, because we have to serve those three different sections of people. We're more about doing everything the right way. And then that authentic behavior will come through on all three levels. So you just mentioned COVID. Talk a little bit about, you know, how you reacted, you know, back in the dark days of March 2020. And you had your three to five year plan. And what what happened to that? Good question. <laughs> um, the, the, I guess the question of 2020, right? The first reaction was, you know, that, that same bit of shock everybody has. I've always considered it a high quality trait that I'm very calm in those kind of situations. So we took a very measured approach where we just said, what's this going to mean to us across this time frame? Like we, we, we all didn't know what was going to happen, right? So immediately it was, okay, all hands on deck. We need to do the following with salaries, with costs, with expenses, and all those kinds of things, right? You, you do those things first, where you say, what waste do we have in the organization? You know, what are we in the middle of working on that we can cut out and, and get to do later? So we do all that stuff first. So I think we check those boxes. Then we immediately looked at our longer term plans, which many of them were around the, you know, what was going on digitally in the world. And we had three to five year plans like everybody does. And we basically accelerated, and our philosophy was that COVID is an accelerant. I, me I remember I did my first all-company call, and I pulled up the definition of accelerant in the <laughs> at the start of the, the conversation. I said, this is going to accelerate a whole bunch of trends that were going on already. So we looked at it as three to five years and three to five months, and we have to get this stuff done. So let's let's ramp it up. Let's go quick. Let's do what we have to do right away. And it was everything from you know making digital presentations to training every person on how to properly use Zoom. I mean, it was everything from the real basics to more complicated things we needed to work on as a company. And I think your you know philosophy around flexibility and you know bottom up versus top down and and employees first and you know sort of hire the rock stars, figure out where to put them later, right, or second. I think that helps you to get everybody around, you know, this new direction, right? I mean, you use the term uh, fast is good, which is, you know, sort of to those people that don't like change, which is sort of 99% of the population, fast is good, you know, that's a double whammy. You know, you want me to change and you want me to change fast. <laughs> right? Sure, yeah, it's difficult. Talk a little bit about how flexibility and, you know, bottom-up approach helps you to be more nimble and more agile and, and sort of have people embrace fast is good. Sure, so that philosophy of the fact that we, we're, we know we need to pivot, we have, a, we have a, the kind of business we set up to pivot quickly, so That was primarily because of that philosophy, meaning that, you know, this trend happens in, in, the, in the West Coast of the United States. We're quick to adapt to that trend. The fact that we're structured that way and we have conversations about it all the time, no conversations about how quickly we needed to pivot our business during COVID were shocking. People were more shocked by COVID itself 
than by our business philosophies. Our business philosophies were stated time and time again in every message, every piece of messaging we do. So we didn't have to train to that. I, I was helping friends that had businesses that were much more structured and having multiple conversations, all those late night weekend conversations everybody was having during COVID, what's going to happen, all that kind of stuff. And I said, look, you can adapt, you can make your business a little more flexible. You're not going to get it to the point where it's ingrained in your culture because <laughs> you can't do that in a month. Getting that ingrained in your culture takes years. So it definitely, it you know, Ben, the part we didn't have to do was we didn't have to take our management team aside and say, we need to move quickly in a new direction and I, I need to show you how to do it, right? We knew how to do it. We just, it, this was more of a shock to our system and we had to go faster than we normally would. So you, you didn't have to figure out how to change and adapt. You just had to figure out where to go because it was a brand new situation. Correct. And how quickly, right? And, and how much, you know, allocation of resources, all that stuff was very difficult for everybody in COVID. I mean, that, that topic's probably the least discussed topic when I, when I look back and say, taking notes on what happened over the, over the last 18 months. The allocation of resources topic is not discussed enough. We all allocated resources to certain spots, and you should have been really looking at that and saying, okay, we allocated resources here. Did we put them in the right place? Do we need to reallocate those resources, right? Almost like the same way the tech business, they come out with a product, they iterate, they change, they come back, they iterate, they change, they come back, right? We all should have been doing that with our where we allocated our resources. You touched on complexity earlier. You know, my question around flexibility i guess the main argument against well nobody makes an argument against flexibility because it's sort of arguing against chevrolet and apple pie and motherhood but people argue for standardization processes disciplines routines and flexibility creates tension it goes against standardization how do you square the two flexibility and complexity You're correct. And there, one other piece I'd, I'd add to what flexibility adds in, in addition to the tension, it also adds some cost. So, right. you, you know, where you really see it, where you hear it all the time in business is to say, we didn't build a flexible model in, in essence, because we, we run this like a, like a factory machine, right? It just churns and it's, it's amazing. And it just goes and, and repeats and the processes are all set and I, we don't have to do anything. So it's not built to be flexible. So I understand that and I understand there's costs built in, but it, it, I'll give you an example of something happened that's happening right now, right? I believe the companies that built in a level of flexibility in their supply chain are doing a little better right now, <laughs> right? So they, they, may not have, they may not have been the most efficient at the time they put that extra layer in, right? They might have had a backup supplier that really people would look at, their accountant may look at them and say, Why do you have that backup supplier that's costing you $200,000 a year and you're not really using it? It's hurting your profitability. And they're like, yeah, but what if it's catastrophic and it and something happens and I have to use that supplier, right? So people who think that way, my personal opinion would just be that if you get your business to a decent size, you need to build in a layer of flexibility. And I think we're getting evidence of it right now. It's a little easier to have this conversation. I mean, If I, we were having this four years ago, you'd probably be like, why did you do it that way? <laughs> Now you might be saying, okay, that totally makes sense. So, so you're a gray sheep now, not a black sheep? <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's completely fair. <laughs> I get accused of a lot of things. I mean, it, we try to stay consistent, right? We, we call the, the organization, we always, we always have this philosophy, we want to be authentic. 
that more than anything else is what we try to be because we we know we're going to change our kind of our mission a little bit as as the business changes. But as long as we're authentic with everybody across the board, we'll we'll do it the right way. You sort of zeroed in on that word through your rebranding, didn't you? We did. Yes, that was across. Yeah, that was across interviews with multiple people inside of the company, which I was not on. And then when they were drilling down, they the, the firm we used came up with the word, but it really they hit it. They hit maybe, you know, six or seven things. And we all in separate interviews all said, oh, yeah, that's us. And interesting. That was salespeople, um, internal operations people, myself, our management team, some of which, you know. It really resonated really with everybody. It was the top vote for the words they came up with across the board. Six or seven words or that one word authenticity? There was like six or seven, but the one word authenticity shot to the top of everybody's list. They were like, that That totally makes sense. That's us. So I don't know. I, I hope maybe, <laughs> right? As a leader, you always hope maybe that comes at least a degree from you just always giving straightforward answers and, you know, admitting mistakes and encouraging mistakes and learning from them. I, we hope that's where it comes from, but you know, who knows, maybe we just hired that kind of person, <laughs> but I, I hope may, I hope our culture really established that that would be great. You know, authenticity, I'll say two things about authenticity. One, unfortunately it's become a little bit of a buzzword lately, which means that some people are, probably laying claim to it that don't have a right to lay claim to it. And the other thing uh, about authenticity, I think, is that, you know, I, I've learned sort of in my 20s and 30s, you know, I, I was more about fitting in and trying to uh, learn from others. And, and then in your, you know, I'm 57 now, and I, I'm sort of like, dude, I'm just going to be myself, you know, and if, because I've, I've learned a while ago that Somebody said to me, 50% of the people in the world are not going to like you. And the other 50%, 40% of them don't really give a damn. <laughs> 10% are going to love you, right? So, and they're going to love you for who you are, not for who you're trying, how you're trying to fit in, right? So, screw it. Just be yourself, be authentic. And if you're, you know, skilled and talented and hardworking and maybe authentic, in a way that not everybody's going to love. So what, you know, be a talent magnet, not, you know, and, and magnets sometimes repel. I mean, half the time repel and half the time attract, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I love that. That's a good, that's a good way to look at it. I, I think it's, um, you know, it, it, it's not going to be our, our everyday, right? I'm, we're not, we're not running the business with it in mind, right? It's more like right. a, you know, it's more like a characteristics that's characteristic that has developed over a long period of time. It's a difficult spot we're in, right? We're managing these different constituents. And when you ma manage different constituents, the one thing you want to do is be consistent. So I, I list, you know, I know that I said consistency a lot when they were asking me those questions. You know, we try to be, I try to be calm and consistent. That I said that a lot. And I, I don't think they like the word as much as they like <laughs> being authentic, right? Because I think it stretches beyond a regular consistency, right? It's, it's, it's also, something we can layer into everybody who's there, right? We can, we can look at our partnerships as authentic. We can look at, at our internal processes as, you know, we want to be as transparent and authentic as possible, right? So all that kind of stuff, I, I think it all just kind of played together. It ended up being kind of a universal accepted principle, I guess you'd say. Which is, I think, is super important, right? To have a few 
sort of bedrocks or pillars in in a team that that everybody gets and everybody sort of you know rallies around and and, and makes them feel good to be part of that team, right? You got to sort of articulate it, give it a name. Sure, and it, yeah, they have to. People have to have a a kind of a belief in the system to to whatever degree, and that belief in the system. If you're if you're doing, for example, if you're if you're Patagonia and your message is a certain thing, right? It's very defined. They're building a product. They're selling that product to a consumer. They have a style. They're going to take their stand on certain issues. That's a little simpler. When you're in the services industry and you're dealing with both ends of the spectrum, it's hard to get a, you know, philosophically to, to have every one of your standards kind of outlined that way because you've got different people doing things different ways. I mean, it, we can't, we can't tell a retailer how they should be running their business. I mean, that would, that would, that's not our job. We make right. suggestions. Right. We right. We we make suggestions. They make decisions. Right. So that's that's a uh, my favorite Peloton instructor says that. So <laughs> well put, well put, Doug. I enjoyed this conversation uh, around you know flexibility and and how you think at you know this sort of bottom up versus top down applies into how you attract talent, how you manage people, how you manage the business, how you still not let it get too complex. And if folks wanted to reach out to you and, and just, you know, talk to you one-on-one about some of these subjects or or any other subject, how can they find you? Email address or, or website or what have you? Yeah, certainly. So the website's really easy. It's, so it's just www.ivystone.com. And then My email is D Cofield, which nobody can ever spell my last name. I know you, do you know that <laughs> I, philosophy? I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, C-O-F-I-E-L-L at ivystone.com. Anytime anybody wants to reach out, talk. I, I love talking business uh, at all times and really enjoy it. And, you know, hopefully have kind of established that within our industry that it, I, it, anybody can feel comfortable reaching out at any time. Excellent. And you said it was D Cofield at ivystone.com. Excellent. All right, Doug, let's leave it at that, I would say, uh, unless you have any other words of wisdom that uh, you've been itching to share with the world. No, I'm all, I'm all good, Benno. I, I just hope that everything you're doing, I, I love what you're doing, and we really appreciate you kind of trying to move things forward from a growth perspective across a multitude of businesses. And I think it's a great, I think it's everything you're doing is really, really strong. And I think you should just keep it up and get get it going at all times. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate the encouragement. And hey, uh, if uh, folks wanted to explore other growth topics, you can find me on our website, realignforresults.com, or just email Benno, B-E-N-N-O, at realignforresults.com. Keep growing. You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.